Well, good morning. We're, uh, we're glad you're here. We've got a lot going on this morning. We've an exciting opportunity to participate in baby dedication at the end of our service. But before we do that, we're going to take a look at exactly what um, was shared there, this notion that temptation is something that occurs in every area of life, every facet of life. Um, we're tempted when things are good, but this morning we're going to spend a lot of time on temptation that comes to us when things are bad. And I want you to think, like, when's the last time that you faced just a crushing moment? Something that, something that occurred in your life, something, something circumstantial, or even maybe something that was brought about as, uh, be, because of the, the cause and effect in life, a situation maybe that you created through your own choices. But it doesn't have to be that, but something that's occurred, something that you've gone through that just really, it, it, it sucked the life out of you for some period of time. Okay? It may be something recent. You may be, you may be in the midst of one of these times. It may be something, you may have to go back a long way to even, to even think of a time where that was, was true for you. But it's times like, like when you've, you've lost a job, and it was a job that you were counting on, um, maybe a job that you didn't have but that you hoped to get, and you, you came just close enough to envision life with it, and then it was taken away, and you didn't have it. Perhaps it's a relationship that's ended, okay? A relationship that was so important and meaningful to you, it could be, could be a marriage relationship. It could be the loss, the actual loss of life that ends a deep relationship, and you look around and you find yourself alone, okay? It could be the pain of, of wanting a family, and hearing a doctor say, that's not going to be an option for you. Or maybe it's the pain of not wanting a child and finding that you are going to have a child. Failing health, right? The diagnosis comes back, and it is cancer. And you're crushed. And what do we do with that? You see, times like that present unique opportunities to do different things. And, and the temptation that so often hits us in those moments of, of circumstance, those times where we are crushed, the temptation that most frequently hits us is to begin to question God, to begin to blame Him. And just as you heard in the drama, maybe even to begin in the valley of the shadow of death, to begin to say, maybe all of this that I was so convinced of so recently, it's just not even true at all. And so, if you're a follower of Christ, we add this ingredient to this, right? That I, I know all of this stuff about God. I've been told these things about God, and I've taken them to be true. And my current circumstance, it just, it seems misaligned with what I, 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 I believe God is supposed to be. And it's in the midst of those times that, I, again, I believe, and, and around here we believe that our enemy, we have an enemy, and he is the devil, and he's at work in the world. Okay? 
and he's going to use us. He's going to use what's true about us just in our nature, our flesh. He's going to use it to try and do something. And the, John writes in his gospel that the thief, the thief here is the devil. The thief comes to kill, or to, only to steal and kill and destroy. That Satan has an end game. Okay? Satan has an end game. And we know what it is. He is the enemy of thriving. He's the enemy of life. He wants to bring about death. And so, oftentimes, the circumstances that we find ourselves in in the world, it presents unique opportunities for temptation to come. And to help us see this, indulge me, but I want to anchor us in a visual of the, the grinder, the meat grinder, right? And what we're talking about today are those points in time where life has put us in the grinder. Where we find, it, again, we wouldn't have put ourselves there, but we're in the grinder and the crank is turning. And as it turns, we're troubled with fear. And doubt. There's pain involved. And there's oftentimes in, this, in the midst of this as well, great high levels of, of exhaustion. We get tired of fighting. But just like in the grinder, it's not a, it's not a the, the, the meat doesn't stay there, nor does your life. Eventually, it sort of passes out the other side. And it's in that other side where we want to we dwell this morning. We want to take some time. We want to look at a passage of Scripture where someone found themselves in the midst of the grinder. Okay? In the midst of the grinder. And so we're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 19. If you have your Bible, 1 Kings, it's towards the first quarter of the Bible. Obviously, if there's a 1 Kings, there's a 2 Kings. So find, if you can find 1 Kings, and we're going to look at Chapter 19, 1 Kings 19. But everything in its context, right? And 1 Kings 19 obviously follows 1 Kings 18. And in these chapters, we're looking at a, a famous Bible uh, character, not a character person, a, a human who lived and followed God and walked with God, but, it, it, but his name was Elijah. And Elijah was a prophet of God. He, he, had, he received messages from God, and he gave those messages to the people. But he lived at a particular point in time where every circumstance he faced was hostile. There was, there was a king and a queen, named, their names were Ahab and Jezebel, and they didn't like Elijah much because Elijah was constantly pointing out all of the things that they were doing that displeased the Lord. Okay? And they'd introduced foreign gods. And so there's this, there's this huge showdown. It was like the Olympics of, of faith, right? And, and there's a mountain, and Elijah goes up on the mountain and, and Ahab comes in with, with all these prophets of foreign gods. And this is, this is 1 Kings chapter 18. There had been a drought in the land, and they were going to, they were, they were, Elijah had tested them and said, the, the drought is because of your unbelief, and so they're going to put this to the test, and each of them offer sacrifices. And the prophets of Baal, the prophets that, that, uh, that represented the false god, the prophets of Baal, they go through all these antics to try and get the, to get the bales to, to accept the sacrifice and to consume it, and it doesn't happen. And Elijah takes, 
He puts his sacrifice on and then he pours water on top of it and he prays to the Lord and fire from heaven comes and consumes the sacrifice. And it's this major victory and it ends with the, the prophets of Baal. It winds up with them being slain. They're killed. It's, this vic- it's a major victory. Okay? Major victory. And then Elijah runs ahead and, and the drought ends and there's a rain cloud and God delivers. Okay? And that's 1 Kings 18. And what we want to do now is look at 1 Kings 19. Okay? 1 Kings 19. Take a look at the very first verse. We're going to begin at the beginning of the chapter. It says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Okay? That's a lot of words to say, I hope you enjoyed the mountain because you're a dead man. Right? It's over. Don't expect to see another sleep. And then verse 3, Then he, Elijah, was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. He's frightened. Now, isn't this, isn't this exactly what we do? Okay? We've, we have, we've seen God move. We know God's goodness. We've even, maybe at different times, seen God in power. But then the, the circumstances of our life, the circumstances that we encounter, they lead us to believe that I, that fear is normal here, that, that in this particular circumstance, God isn't going to deliver in the way he has in the past circumstance. And so fear is added to the mix. Elijah does what we often do, right? We run, and he runs. So I've, I've seen God, and yet now I'm, I'm faced with a new trial. I'm faced with a new trial, and, and the initial response is just to get away. I'm just, I just want to get away. So keep reading. Verse 4. But he himself, remember he left his servant, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. Now I know what you're thinking. What's a broom tree? So I looked it up. All right. That's a broom tree. It's a nice visual, I think, given what's about to happen. So he asked, keep, keep going, verse, middle of verse 4. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life away, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Where does it, what happens here? He's afraid. He gets out in the wilderness. He goes into hiding. He's under the broom tree. And he says, I just want it to end. Right? And isn't this the first response that we often have when we find ourselves in similar circumstances to Elijah, when we find ourselves in the grinder? When we find that life is chewing us up, what the, one, I think one of the first responses that we have is, I just want, I just want the pain to stop. Like, I, I just want it to go away. And quite frankly, I'm willing to, to pay just about anything to make it go away. I just want it dulled. I want it numbed. And for Elijah, that prayer went so far as to say, just end my life. I don't see any relief. So there he is in verse 5, he lays down and sleeps under the broom tree, and behold, verse 5, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat, 
And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Some of your translations might say Sinai. It's the, it's the same word. He goes to the mount of the law, Sinai. So Elijah, he, he's, he's asleep under the tree, and God, and, and this is the fascinating thing. What does God do? God enters into the pain. He enters into the fear, and he says, here's, here's your sustenance. Now, he, does, he doesn't give him a banquet, right? He gives him a cake, a, a bread. He gives him some water. He says, this is, this is enough to get you through. This is enough. Okay? We keep reading. Keep reading. Verse 9. And there he, Elijah, came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous, as Elijah. I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. So God gives Elijah an opportunity, right? And we have this same opportunity. He says, Elijah, what? And it's not like, hey, Elijah, what are you doing here? Right? As if God doesn't know. It's Elijah, what is it? Why are you here? It's almost a question of, what's your orientation, Elijah? Why, Why did I find you under the tree wanting to die? Why have you come to this place? This, this site, why are, you, why are you here? What is it that you're looking for? And notice Elijah's response. Does he answer the question? Look back at what he says in verse 10. I've been je- very jealous for the Lord, meaning exclusively yours, God. Okay? I've been exclusively yours. For the people of Israel, the nation that you've sent me to, he says, have forsaken your covenant, your promise. They've forgotten about you, thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets, the others like me, he says. There's no one like me. And then he gets to the crux of his complaint, right? And I, even I only, am left. I'm the last one. I'm one of a kind. I've done what was right, okay? I've done what was right, and this, look at what it got me. Under the tree, I want to die, And now I'm in a cave, hiding. I'm afraid for my life. How is this right, God? So when God says to Elijah, what are you doing here? He says, I'm here because I want answers, God. I want you to give an account to me, God, for why it is that I would do everything that you've asked me to do. I would do it exclusively for you. I'd watch everyone around me who was doing the same thing. I'd watch them lose their lives. And now I'm the last one. And quite frankly, God, I feel like you owe me an explanation. Have you been there? Have you been there? Have you been in that place where I did the right thing? I walked with God, and yet my circumstances aren't lovely. In fact, I would choose just about anything except for these circumstances. Why, God? 
Why? So keep reading, verse 11. And he, this is God now. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. We get these symbols. Now hold on a second. We get these symbols that this wind comes by and this earthquake shakes and, and, and then there's fire. And here's the thing about each of, those, each of those symbols. Those are symbols that are used throughout the scripture for God. And in fact, in Elijah's life, those symbols had been used. You only have to go back one chapter to see God show up in fire on the mountain and consume the sacrifice. And ultimately, Elijah, who the end of Elijah's story is that Elijah doesn't die a natural death. He's taken up into heaven. He's swept up into heaven. And it, you know what it, it says? It says, a whirlwind came. He was taken up in wind, and, and chariots like fire came. God shows up in the wind and the fire. Like those are, God is in that, that he is present in those things. The scriptures tell us these are symbols that do matter to God, but in this instance, God wasn't found in them. He wasn't there. And so keep looking again at verse 12. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then catch this. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Have we heard that before? Let me reiterate my question, God says. What is it that you're doing here? verse 14, he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Word for word, Elijah responds with his same complaint or charge before the Lord. Now, I'd love to stand up here and tell you that I've got some kind of deep theological understanding of why these things are repeated back and forth, exactly as they are, and why after the first one, God shows, he brings the wind and the earthquake and the fire, and after the second one, he doesn't, and why Elijah is standing, shaking his fist a bit at God and saying, you, you need to give an account to me, God. And he repeats it again. I wish I could. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know a full answer, but let me propose this. Perhaps, perhaps what we're finding here is that God is the same before our complaints and after. Right? He's the same God. No matter whether, whether we recognize him in his fullness or not, he's the same God. He's not changing his answer because we're upset with his, what we perceive as his lack of action. See, what Elijah wants, Elijah wants the, the mighty power of God, he wants the wind and the earthquake and the fire to wipe out his enemies. When is it my turn? And God's answer repeatedly is, it's not how it works here. 
Oh, from time to time, you'll find me in the wind. From time to time, you'll find me in the earthquake. From time to time, you'll find me in the fire. But I'm not bound by any of those things, Elijah. I'm not bound to any description. And in this instance, you need to listen to me, Elijah. I'm in the whisper. I'm whispering to you. Do you have your ears tuned in? And so it goes on. Verse 15. The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Essentially, here's what God says. Just go back the way you came. Go back to what you were doing. And when you arrive, you're going to anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet, listen to this, I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed down to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. You see, the, the, the answer that, that God provides essentially says this. Listen, I'm not even going to, I'm not, sort of not going to dignify the, the claim, Elijah, with, with I'm not going to dignify your complaint with a, with a direct response, but I am going to do this. I'm going to give you some perspective. I'm going to show you a bigger picture than what you have in this isolated little moment right here that you're caught in. And it's this. I'm going to give you some others. I'm going to give you three others that are named. But beyond those three others, you need to understand that there's 7,000 more. You don't see the whole picture, Elijah. And isn't that the same thing that God tells me when I'm upset because things aren't going my way, when my health isn't what I want it to be, when I, I, we scratch and claw financially and yet we never really seem to have the security that we want, when I, I have hopes and aspirations and dreams for, for my own children and yet that's a struggle and it's a wrestling match, when I can't bend the people around me to the things that I know God wants for them. And he says, let me back off a little bit here and give you some perspective. There's more going on than you can recognize with your limited view. God says, I am at work. I am at work, and you're a piece of it. You're a part of it. But it's bigger than that. And so what do we do with this story? Okay? What do we do with, with this idea, this notion that, that, that Elijah is he's virtuous, and, and he's done what God's told him to do, and yet the circumstances aren't there, and that causes him pain. And how does that, what does that have to do with us? How are we like Elijah? And I want to propose a way of viewing this. Because you see, what Elijah's dealing with is the very same thing that we deal with. He has a picture of God, okay? He's, he has determined this is who God is, and if this is who God is, that means I need to be a certain way myself, okay? So, so that's what he's done. And for Elijah, I would say primarily what he said is this. God is a protector. He's a protector. Which, by the way, is true. God is a protector. 
but he's not just a protector. <laughs> the problem comes in when we say, he's only this thing, or I've, I've reduced God to being this thing. And Elijah says, God, you're a protector, and don't we say the same thing? God, you're supposed to protect me from harm. You've got the power, the knowledge. You're supposed to be protecting me. That's your job. And if you do your job, then I should be safe, right? I should be safe. And so if I'm not safe, who's not doing their job here? And isn't this how we respond? And so we go into, similar to Elijah, right? We go into the mode of, I just, I'm just going to, if I'm not safe, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to protect. I'm going to run. I'm going to get away from the circumstance that, that's causing me to, to be unsafe. And there's, no, even, there's not even a condemnation necessarily in here for Elijah to do that, but there is a sense as we get to the, through, through the story that, that Elijah had, had made God only his protector. He was just a protector. And so Elijah's view of God is threatened when Elijah isn't safe. I think Elijah, similar to us, viewed God as a rewarder, right? God's a rewarder. So I do what God's asked me to do, and then I receive good outcome, okay? So in this, in this picture, if God's a rewarder, I'm a performer, right? I perform certain duties, I, I carry out certain actions, I'm obedient to certain things, and then God is somehow obligated to give me good things. I've performed, you reward. That's how this works. When, uh, when my wife and I, before we had children, we decided, to, uh, we decided to add a really hairy child to our home in the form of a dog. For those of you who are married without kids, if you haven't done this, let's have a talk. It's a cautionary tale. Okay? But, but we added this dog to our house, and, and like all good dog parents, right? We had to take the dog to, to obedience school, okay? And the, the obedience school we took the dog to taught us this click and treat method. It's actually, as I've come to find out, it's actually a, a model of education. It was, it was tested on kindergartners, okay? It's called behaviorism. But, but, you, but you, then it transferred over to dog training, but the method was this. If you want the dog to do something, you don't punish the bad things, but as soon as the dog does the right thing, they gave you a little clicker, and you would click and treat, okay? Click and treat. And so we would want, our dog was named Gracie, and we would want Gracie to stop jumping on people, which never happened. But, but what they told us was, don't swat her, don't kick her, don't, just ignore it, turn your back. All she wants is attention. If she doesn't get attention, she'll eventually stop. Okay, sorry. That might work on lesser dogs, but Gracie was a force of nature. Okay? But we would do this thing. We went to puppy class, right? And all the dogs in the room. And, and, and we would want Gracie then to like not stop jumping. And so she would, like, she would start to jump but not go all the way up. And we're like, oh, hey, that's good. And we'd go click and treat. Okay? And then we wanted Gracie to sit, and she'd kind of halfway get her rear end down, and we'd click and treat. 
Okay? Now, here's the thing. Don't we so often view ourselves as nothing more than a, a trained dog? God, I sat. Where's my treat? God, I have prayed over my children. Why aren't they doing the things that I'm praying about? God, I was, I was responsible in my job. Why is it that that was taken from me? God, I've, I've taken care of my body. I've not abused my body. I have sacrificed for you. Why am I sick? You're supposed to reward me. Okay? And here's the thing. Are you ready? God is a rewarder. It's true about him. It's just that it's not the only thing that's true about him. There's more to God than just that. And here's what I would say. This is the problem. Ultimately, we believe that God is a puppet and we're really his master. That I, that I can manipulate and control God by doing certain things. But what happens when the puppet rebels? What happens when the puppet says, I'm not playing your game any longer? What happens when we find ourselves in the grinder because we, we, and we're, we're faced with this question of, God, you're not who I thought you were. And it presents us with this challenge, this problem, because we've built God to be something. I've built him to be a rewarder. I've built him to be a protector. And again, hear me say this clearly, while he is, he's not only those things. He has perspective that you don't have and that I don't have. And so we come, we, we, we come through the trial, we come out of the grinder, we're, we're, we're chewed up, and we're faced with this reality that God is not who I thought he was. He's not who I thought he was. And if God's not who he thought he was, then I'm not who I thought I was either. If he's not just that thing, then I'm not just a performer. There's more to the story. And you see, God steps in, just like he did with Elijah. God steps in, and God provides evidence. He'll, it's there. He gives it to us. But in order to hear it, we have to step out of the cave, right? We have to step out onto the mount. We have to go where God is, is present. We have to allow ourselves to be put in places where God's going to speak, where he's going to whisper to you. You're going to hear his message, and he's going to tell you. He's going to say, I know, I understand. Now get up and go. Go back into the wilderness. Go back from whence you came. Don't retreat. The temptation that's presented to us in this point in time, the temptation that's presented is, is on somewhere on the spectrum of saying, saying all the way from God, because you haven't met my expectation, because you no longer fit my picture, I don't even believe in you. That's one end. That's 
a drastic response. But we have all kinds of other degrees of this that we, that we deal with, that, we, that we're tempted towards. That we're tempted to say, okay, so, so maybe God's real, but I'm, as, as you heard in the drama, I'm just going to kind of manage this on my own. I'm just going to take care of the circumstances as best I can on my own. I'm just going to sort of self-medicate, and we retreat into entertainment. I'm going to not think about it. So your broom tree, my broom tree is, I'm not going to think about it. I'm going to lay down here, and I'm just going to absorb whatever comes across the screen or the book or whatever it is. Wherever it is, I want to lose myself. Or you know what? I'm going to redouble my efforts. I'm going to insist that God is a rewarder. So you know what? I've been working 60 hours. That obviously wasn't enough for God. I'm going to do 75. And we dig in. And that's the temptation that we're presented with. And what God is saying to us is, I'm I'm not just that thing. If you want to hear my voice, you have to get up out of the cave. You have to come out to the mount, and you have to listen. Which leaves us with this question, right? Where does God speak? Where does he speak today? My guess is you're not in the cave, literally. My guess is you're not hearing the wind and the earthquake and the fire, literally. So where is God found? I want to be careful with what I'm about to share with you because um, I am and we are steadfast in our belief that there's no formula that we can plug in, just as I've been saying, that's going to make God respond to us in a certain way. Okay? So the things that I'm about to share with you, I want to be very careful to say I'm not talking about formulas but I am talking about environments. I'm talking about places. I'm talking about things, things that God has provided whereby his voice flows to us. It's already there. God is already speaking. The question is, will we put ourselves in the place where we can hear him when he shares, when he tells us? So please don't hear me say, what I'm about to say as, as some kind of one, two, three steps, and if I just do these things, all's going to be well in life, that's, that's still God as a puppet. But I do want to say that when we're tempted with this, on the spectrum, when we're tempted with, with running away, when we're tempted with just sort of self-medicating the problem, God has given us several conduits through which his life flows to us and we can hear him. And the first one should be obvious, but it's the Scripture, right? God has told us what we need to know. How do we hear God's voice? Well, he's given us his voice. He's chosen to reveal himself to you and I through language, through words. It's God speaking to us. In 2 Timothy 3, right before the famous all Scripture is inspired by God, it tells, it, it tells, Paul writes to Timothy, it tells us, As for you, continue in what you've learned. And have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the, with the sacred writings, with the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You see, it, it, it's not, at the risk of being cliche, the thing is, this cliche is true. If you want to hear God's voice, you can't separate yourself from God's word. That's where he speaks. 
And so we, we are committed to this, and you, we, you have to be as well if we're going to survive the grinder. We can't say, I tried the Bible, it didn't work for me. There's no, wait a minute. Are you sure? So now you're going to walk away from it. But, but God has, has told us, this is where he hangs out. If I want to hear his voice, it's there. I need to come out of the cave and get out on the mountain and listen to it. So when you're in the moment, when you're in the grinder, where do you go for counsel? Where do you go? Do you go to your favorite author? Do you go to your favorite show? Do you just medicate by that sport, using that sporting event or your hobby? Because the alternative, see, every temptation is not only an opportunity for sin to reign, every temptation is an opportunity for us to say yes to God, for us to consciously choose his path. And when we're in that in that environment, when, we're, when we have those opportunities, when we're, we're coming, just coming out of the grinder, we've been chewed up, we have an opportunity to pick up his word and to say, God, show me who you are. I'm no happier with you now than I was before, but I'm willing to listen to you. Second, what about worship? See, Scripture tells us what we need to know, but worship tells us where I need to look. You see, the point of worship is to, is to place myself below God in a way that says, you're right, you are the king, and I am your servant. You are almighty, and I am finite and limited. You do see the big picture, and I have just such a small glimpse. This is what David writes in Psalm 121, these psalms of ascent that the people would sing every year. They, they said, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. This is, a, this is an ancient worship song that David had, had written, and then the people every year would sing this as they moved into Jerusalem for the, for the festival time. Where does my help come from? You see, what worship does is it recenters me around my relationship with the God who is real. Where does God speak? He speaks through his word, but he also speaks through our willingness to, to, to stand in awe of him and reflect on his greatness. And the third thing is that this community. Where does God speak? If this is who I need with me. The scriptures tell me what I need to know. The worship tells me where I need to look. And community tells me, tells me who I need with me. You see, what does God give Elijah? Or Elijah, I'm sorry. What does God give Elijah as an answer to Elijah's complaint? He doesn't give him a reasoned response to say, hey, dummy, haven't you, have you forgotten that I'm God and you're not? He doesn't, he doesn't hand him a manuscript of 100 pages to read on evidence for the existence and goodness of God. It's not that those things don't have value. But what God gives Elijah is three people to work alongside him. And he says there's 7,000 more. And before the chapter is over, Elijah has taken Elisha by his side. And they're together 
They're working together. So this morning, as we wrap up, I would ask, where do you go when you're in, if, if you find yourself there now, where have you been going? What have you been using to numb the pain? Where have you run? If you're not there at present, I have a good friend who knows this better than most who would say, if you're not in the midst of a storm, one is on its way. It's, it's not too soon. It's, it's, it's never the wrong time to begin to prepare myself for that time. And so, as we're presented with opportunities, opportunities to say yes to the word of God, the scriptures, to say yes to worshiping God, and to say yes to community. Will we? Will we do that? 